0: Wow. I can say I've spoken a lot of places. I've never had an introduction like that. Thank you, Paul. Uh, You know, when Paul first uh, asked me if I would be part of this, I really didn't know how to respond. You know, it was one of those things that you should be gracious and you should be honored and all that. And quite honestly, when I saw who he invited to be speakers of this, I was honestly, Paul, I was dumbfounded. Because number one, your pastor is one of the best communicators I've ever known. A man that can preach on the Wonder Brawl and bring it home and people actually come to know Jesus, come on, come on. That, that is stinking awesome. And then I know all the other speakers. I mean, Jay Stewart, uh, he's like the powerful professor, you know? Uh, we run into each other at Starbucks a lot down in the Concord area, and he always has like students gathered around him just listening to every word because he's like walking wisdom. And then you bring in Terry last night. I mean, the Bible talks about people that talk with God and that walk with God. I swear she texts with God. I mean, you know, going home last night, he sent her like a fist bump, thumbs up, you know, you go, girl. Because she just has a relationship that most of us cannot understand. Uh, But what a a cool, cool group here. And then you got Kapusta coming tomorrow night. He's going to get up here and flex his biceps and be so cool that you just recognize he built a church just because he's cool and God is cooler, amen. So uh, so you know then you throw me in on a Tuesday night. And I just have to say this. God called this former CPA out of the towers of Houston, Texas, because you know that nerds need Jesus too. Amen. And I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina, and we are reaching bankers and engineers, and uh, we're building a church that looks like heaven. We have 14 nationalities. I have a leadership meeting tomorrow night with my guy from Poland, Germany, India, Sierra Leone, and, and a guy from West Virginia. Hallelujah. <laughs> we, we have it all. And uh, Denise and I are just privileged. This Thursday, we celebrate our ninth birthday. So just a little encouragement. We have been setting up and tearing down for nine years, we have 11 more weeks until we occupy our building. We are building a building as well. And uh, I, I just wish I could build it in Stanley County than then move it to Charlotte. Because my builder keeps telling me, if we built it anywhere else, you know it would be about $400,000 cheaper, right? And uh, in Charlotte, that is very, very true. But God is faithful. God has provided. And we're excited. I'm so glad you're here tonight. I, I know something about... Pentecostal churches, I, I, I grew up in Pentecost, um, I'm, I'm one that's been blessed by Pentecost. And I know when we gather, there's something about getting out of our routines that allows God to do something extraordinary in our lives. And I think there's something special about when revival, how many of y'all grew up in revival services? Anybody just, you know, that was kind of the norm growing up. We'd have them at least twice a year. It'd be a week long. And I grew up literally sleeping under the pews, okay? That's, my mom was the church pianist, so I, I was there until Sister So-and-So started screaming, and then I'd start screaming, Mom would have to come get me. But we grew up in revivals. And I learned something that, you know, there, there's something about coming out of your routine that says to God, God, I am hungry for you. God, I want you. And as I was praying over this night and, and when, when Paul asked me and said, this is going to be about encounter, I knew immediately what I was supposed to speak about. And I've had months to try to talk God out of it or into it one way or another. But I kept even today, I'm like, God, I can do something else. And he kept bringing me back to this scripture. So I want you to open your Bibles to John chapter 8. John chapter 8 is where we're going to spend uh, just a little bit of time tonight. We have up on the screen, there's going to be quite a bit of scripture. I'm I'm more of that uh, teaching bent is what I do. So uh, I want you to leave full tonight, but I want you to leave encouraged tonight. I want you to leave free tonight because that is our theme tonight. We want God to help us encounter freedom in every part of our lives. I've been a pastor now for 26 years and the one thing that just still just gets me, I, I, I get excited when people get saved. We baptized four people last Sunday, and I just what a, what a thrill to, to down in the water and back up, you know, just the new life. But one of the greatest thrills I get outside of salvation is this, and that's when I see believers who've been walking way beneath where God wants them to walk, one day come alive in a freedom that they never thought they could experience. Because they'd walked in woundedness, they'd walked in brokenness. They'd walked in the lies of the enemy for so long they didn't have an expectation that this abundant life that Jesus promised us could actually be for them. But my Bible tells me that Jesus Christ came to do something amazing. And tonight, I want you to hear this. I want you to see it in God's Word because we're going to experience freedom tonight, and then we're going to learn how to shut the door on the devil so that he has no place to come back in and rob us for the freedom that God has for us. Amen? So I want you to pray with me right now, and let's just dive in. Father, God, I'm just blessed, Father, because I need this encounter as much as anyone else. And Lord, as we are worshiping tonight, God, and singing, I I need more, God. I, I pray that for all of us tonight. God, I, I know that, Father, even in the most busy places, God, in active places, God, and, and vibrant places, God, we can, be, we can also be weary, Father, in what we do. And Lord, tonight, I'm just praying that refreshing over us. And Lord, I ask that, Lord, you'd speak to each of us right where we are, that, Father, there's not a one tonight that is here, God, that, Lord, you're not aware of. God, you know deep into us. You know our very thoughts. And Lord, tonight, I pray, just open us up. Let this word speak into our lives. And God, let us claim something that you have already claimed for us. God, I pray this in Christ's wonderful name. Amen. Amen. I I believe that God has given us such a hope-filled, life-giving message that this world needs to have. And I think one of the greatest things that keeps our message from being so impactful is simply this. So many believers have never experienced the fullness of what that message is all about. And I believe tonight that the enemy has sown so much lies into our lives that we have, we have missed out on what God really can do when we are turned on to his truth and filled with his Holy Spirit and released to tell others about Jesus Christ. Because the Bible tells me that the, word, the truth of God's word sets me free. It sets me free from bondage. It sets me free from false expectations. It sets me free from other people's opinions. Can I get a witness to that? It sets me free from anything that isn't spoken over me in my life, that I may walk in the boldness of the Holy Spirit because I know who I am and I know who is in me. When Jesus was establishing his mission on the earth, he made a statement that is so bold, it's short, but it is filled with power. Because he said to the people around him, he said, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, we take that and we say, well, we know he wants to save lost people because, after all, we lost our relationship with God when when man sinned in the garden. We were broken in fellowship. We lost that intimacy that God wants for us. But he said, I've come to seek that and to save that which is lost. But he also went further in that because when, we, when man fell in the garden, not only to lose our relationship with God, we lost our relationship with real life, with freedom to be what God created us in our original design, that we are the one of the kinds, we are that unique creature made in his image. But that was lost in the garden, and the lies and the deception of Satan that caused Adam and Eve to fall are the same lies he's been using ever since. And they're the same lies that we know better than to believe, but yet so many get trapped in them because they're so insidious and they're so wrong but powerful. You see, God's plan for you and I is to live in freedom, to live a truth-based life that is full of power that is full of liberty, that's full of freedom, that's full of peace. And we were singing, I want more tonight. I, I couldn't exhaust all the things I was asking him for. I'm like, yes, I want more of that and more of that and peace. And, and Lord, uh, just that that joy that floods our soul, God, just that, that, that rest, God, that you bring to those that follow you. But at the same time, the enemy just sows those thoughts into you that says, you know what, uh, maybe you can't experience that because you've been through too much. But I've never met anyone that's been through too much that my God cannot set free, Amen. Because He comes as a bondage breaker. He comes to reach in with truth that are, that, that opposes the lies of the enemy and brings us into a place where bondage and ruin become places of His grace and places of His fruit being born in us and places of witness. Because can I tell you, we live in a broken, messed up world. We live in a world that that has lost touch with reality and much less lost touch with their Creator. And it's not the perfect that witness, it's the broken that have been set free that, that people see Jesus in, that people see the truth of the gospel in, and they want that. We pray every Sunday at Hope, at the end of the service, the, the promise out of First Peter, we say that we want to live in such a way that, that people might even be willing to ask, why do we live like we do? And we're going to be ready to tell them of the hope that's within us. But if we are no different than the world, they never ask. Because we're in the same bondage, then our witness is nothing more than words. But God wants to set us free, and he wants to set us free through his son. You see, in John 8, beginning back in verse 31, we'll, we'll put up this on the screen in a moment verse 36, but in, back in verse 31, he was talking to some Jewish believers. And they'd come, and they, they put their trust in him. They believed in him. That was a big thing. They were breaking away from the religion of their past. They were breaking away from the things their parents had brought them up in. And he said to them, he said, listen, if you hold to my teachings... Then you're my disciples. If you, if, you, if you really listen, if you really get the truth in you, he said, then you are my disciples. Again, they believed he was the Messiah. They had faith, but they, they had things they needed to know. And then he said to them, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, you would not expect that that would be an offensive statement, but for them it was. They were like, wait a minute. Who are you to call us in bondage, Jesus? We are the children of Abraham, we have never been slaves. What are you talking about? Jesus did with them what he does by the Holy Spirit to us. He puts his finger right at the place we need him the most, and he says, oh, well, don't you know that anyone that has sin is a slave to sin? And they just kind of reeled back. They're like, okay, you got us. Okay. But they didn't stop there. He pressed in a little more. He says, you'll know that truth. That truth's going to set you free. You see, unless you know that you need freedom, you never will seek it. Unless you know that you're in bondage, you never will try to get out of it. Because here's what bondage does. The longer we stay in it, it becomes our identity. And we even begin to defend it, you know. It's like when your spouse says, hey, honey, you know, you got a little, you got a little hot under the collar or not? You got, a little, you got a little anger problem. What are you talking about, anger problem? I'm not angry. No, I, my dad was angry. I'm not angry. What are you talking about? And the longer they talk, they're getting louder and louder. And she's like, never mind. Because you see, until you know you're in bondage, you don't ever seek to be free. But Jesus spoke to their identity issue, and he says, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. It's not your temperament. It's not your habit. It's sin. It's something God wants to break. It may may manifest itself in cynicism. It may manifest itself in wrong thinking or or, or habits that destroy. But he says the slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So, verse 36, if the son sets you free, you'll be what? Talk to me. I like that, don't you? I like that. I like that extra that extra push. You're not going to be free. You're going to be free indeed. For once and for all, you're going to break out. Once and for all, you're going to break free. And those things of your past aren't going to hold you back. Now they're just going to become a testimony of what God did in your life. Because no longer you say, oh, well, I'm bruised, I'm broken, I'm feeble, I'm weak. You're saying, no, where I am weak, he has become strong. And where I am wounded, he has made me whole. And now I walk as a living testament of what God's grace really does in my life. You see, God promised us not just heaven. Eternal life is an amazing thing. I have a simple theory. If the only reason that God saved us was to get us to heaven, I wish he would have killed us at the altar the moment we were saved. It would have saved a lot of us a lot of grief. Amen? Just get it over with. I mean, it's like I baptized one Sunday. I wanted to hold him under. I'm like, the best thing I could do is kill you now. I just know you, you know. I know the struggles you're going to have. But, you know, you got to get them back up because that's for God's, that's God's business, not mine. But, uh, but he promises us not only heaven, but this abundant life, this life that lives to witness and to show the way to others. Now tonight what I want to really focus in on is this. I believe in this body tonight. Just I was I was just taking in the atmosphere as we were worshiping and and just listening and and just observing. And in the spirit, I was praying, like God. Well, well, what what's the deal? What do we what do we need tonight, God? And and I really really received this that that you know freedom. It's not new to you to hear this message. It's not new to you to hear this truth. But for some. Tonight, I, I really want you to hear this. For some tonight, you've got to learn to, once you've walked through the door of freedom, you've got to learn to close the door behind you. You've got to learn to close the door to the enemy and say, you're not welcome here anymore. You've got to learn to close the door to those thoughts and things that pull you back because God has set you free. Now we want to be proactive to walk in that freedom. Let me give you an example tonight. If, if you flip over to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians is probably one of those books you can't read enough. There's just so much richness in it. But in Ephesians chapter 4, just a real-life example that, that Paul was giving to the church at Ephesus, chapter 4, verse 26, he said, in your anger, do not sin. Now, would you agree with me tonight that we all get angry sometimes? Yeah, right? That, that's a human quality if you want to call it that. And really, if we understand anger, it's very simple because anger kind of flows out of unfulfilled expectations. It's when something else gets in the way of a goal that you have, and and the only way you know to react to it is just this anger. And it's common to everyone. And so so here's Paul saying, look, in your anger, do not sin. We're all going to get angry, but we have a choice of what we do with that anger. So much so that he says, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a what? Foothold. It's that place of bondage. It's that, that place of influence. And if it's not dealt with, it leads to this. We give the, ability, the, the, we give the enemy the ability to rob us of things he does not deserve and he has no place for. We give him the ability to rob us of joy. We give him the ability to rob us of peace. You see, we have to recognize in all these places that are just real life, we have this choice. Do I close the door on the enemy or do I just let my flesh out? Do I close the door on the enemy or I just act like everybody else? He says, let him that steals must steal no longer. It's time to shut the door. Here's another example. This is one that I find that so many people deal with. It's over in 2 Corinthians. Give you a minute to flip there. 2 Corinthians chapter chapter 2. And and again, he was dealing with real people. Aren't you glad the Bible is written for real people? Uh, it wasn't written for everybody that's got it all together. It was written for people like us saying, look, I know you're going to deal with this stuff, so let me show you how to walk in it. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul wrote, he says, anyone you forgive, I also forgive. He's saying, look, anyone you forgive, it's, it's a standard thought. You're going to forgive people because guess what? People are going to offend you. He said, so if you forgive them, then what do I have against them? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forgive them as well. Because if we don't forgive, guess what happens? We give Satan a foothold. He said, and what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us. For we are not unaware of his schemes. Let me just read that last verse to you out of the out of the message version. It just kind of brings it into our, our vernacular. He says, after all, we don't want to unwittingly give Satan an opening for yet more mischief. We're not oblivious to his sly ways, but yet we fall for him over and over and over again. And that's why tonight I want to show you in God's word how we shut the door. Because sadly, so many that are aware of his schemes still walk in those same things again. And you wonder why and you say, well, I have forgiven this person. And all of a sudden you see a Facebook post of them and everything inside of you rises up and goes, I don't like them. I don't even want to be near them, but oh, I've forgiven them. Oh, they can come to church, but it's that church down the road, not my church, because something deep inside has not been dealt with in that area of forgiveness. So here's what I want you to see tonight. And I, I, this sounds really strange to say this, but I, I think you'll understand it. If there was anything good about the devil, there's one thing I can tell you that's good about the devil. That just sounds wrong to say good about the devil. But if there's anything good about the devil, it's simply this. He is not creative at all. He is not God. We elevate him way too much in the body of Christ. He's not God. He never created anything. The Bible says he's a liar. That's his his only language. He's a liar. He's the father of all liars. He's he's the murderer. But he's not creative at all. In fact, according to God's word, when he comes to deceive, when he comes to, to gain a foothold, when he comes to create a stronghold in us, can I tell you, he will always come in one of three ways. You see it again and again and again throughout the Bible. And we need to get this into our minds because if there's only three doors he can come through, guess what? I think we can learn to shut three doors, right? Because when we do that, we are closing the door on bondage. So there's three big doors that he does over and over again as he tries to come in to our lives. In First John, you're going to see this. So, again, I told you I'm going to bounce around a little bit tonight, but in First John chapter 2, I want you to see this, and it's something that is common. If you've, if you've been in church for long, you read your Bible much, these are verses that maybe you've heard before. But in First John 2, verse 15, he says this. He says, do not love the world or anything in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, here we go, what? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires, they pass away. They, they they kill dreams, they kill marriages, they kill hopes, all these things. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. So here we see these three areas that Satan likes to target and come into our lives in: the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So Mike, what do those what do those mean? How do they how do they work themselves out in our lives? Let's let's break them down. Lust of the flesh. That's our passions. That, that's our, our passions. It's, it's wanting our own way always. And can I tell you that it has nothing to do with the kingdom of God? Wanting our way always has nothing to do with the Father. It's our appetites. It's, it's our lives being led by our feelings. How many know you cannot trust your feelings? You can't do that. They'll fool you every time. And people say, well, well Pastor, I'm just, I'm just wired that way. I'm moody. I'm like, God bless you, and whoever marries you. It's just, you know, no. Come on. The joy of the Lord is your strength, not the moodiness of your behavior. No. Well, then uh, this is always my favorite, especially in the part of the city I live in, because we are the most ethnically, culturally diverse part of our city. And I'll get this, well, pastor, I'm angry, because we're Irish. My father was angry. My grandfather's angry. My grandfather, great 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 father was angry. And I'm like, no, you just hadn't got free yet. Because Christ didn't die for the people that were passive. He died for all of us. So we get hung up in this thing like my feelings are going to control us. Listen, our feelings must come under the authority of God's word. They must submit to what he said is the truth. Let me just tell you something. If I acted on everything I felt, I would have a prison ministry right now because I'd be inmate 00067. I have a 22-year-old daughter. I've wanted to murder some young men in my life. Especially the first one that showed up to date her. If we walk in our feelings, guess what? We're no different than the world. We, we can praise God with our hands raised and then go bless somebody else because they got our parking spot and we wonder what's wrong. Lust of the flesh. We want our way. It's ours or no way and it has nothing to do with the Father. The second is similar, the lust of the eyes. And that focuses on our possessions. It's wanting everything for yourself that has nothing, again, to do with the Father. As the great theologian's queen used to saying, I want it all, I want it all, and I want it when? Now. You thought that was just MasterCard, right? No, that's, that's the lust of the eyes. I, I want it all. I want everything. My generation wants stuff. Because after all, we have to have more stuff than our parents had by the time they were the age we are because that proves we've accomplished something. And we want it so bad, we'll go into debt and, to get it and never even think about how we're going to repay it. Now, my daughter's generation, she wants experiences more than stuff. say, so how do you know that? Because I see where she lives. I'm <laughs> like, where's the furniture? You know, it's just, she doesn't care, you know. But she wants experiences, but the same trap is there. She'll go into to debt to experience more, more, and more. And the, and the problem is people believe that possessions or experiences are going to make them happy. But can I tell you that true happiness is only found by walking in God's original design of how He created you in your mother's womb and said it is good? And how He wants you to walk out in the gifts and the talents that God has for you to expand His kingdom? And Third is the pride of life. And this is the one that I think as believers, we probably struggle the most with. Because that's all about position, it's all about wanting to appear important. It has nothing to do with the Father. And it manifests in things like, well, as as gifted as I am, I should have more influence than I do. If they only knew how God wired me, I'd have a position and a place. See, it's all about us. It's all about wanting our way. We think way too much of ourselves. We think too much of what we can do. Every year on our anniversary or our birthday, I stand before Hope Church and I say, Hope Church exists because God sovereignly wants us to exist. Because I can give you a thousand reasons we should not exist and it starts right here. Because we've done nothing. God's done everything. You see, we are not great, he is. We are not worthy of worship, he is. And God says that when we get caught in this pride of life, we're in a very dangerous place because of all these things, very rarely does God say he opposes something, but he says he opposes this. Because he said that he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. These three areas, again and again and again, you see them through Scripture, Satan trying to come in through three doors. Whatever you want to call them, I've, I've heard them listed so many ways. I've heard it, I've heard it done this way, the, the stay away from the sex, the salary, and the, and the status. Uh, when I started out in ministry as a youth pastor, which most, most of us did back in the day, uh, my, my pastor at that time sat me down he said, Mike, I'm going to give you the three G's, and I don't want you to touch any of them. I was like 24 years old. I'm like, yes, whatever. I'm overrated with the wisdom from on high, right? He says, stay away from the girls, stay away from the gold, and stay away from the glory. And I thought the Holy Spirit spoke like from heaven right then because he was serious. What he was saying is the devil can come through three doors and he's going to try every one of those three doors because he's going to come after you where he can find a way to build a stronghold in your life and keep you from living up to the fullness of the witness God has for your life. Let me show you this in the Bible, okay? I want you to see this. I want you to get this into your spirit tonight. It's not a. It's not a gimmick. It's not a little sideshow. There are three ways. Beginning. Genesis 3, right? Fall of man, Adam and Eve in the garden, plus the snake. They're there. They're by the tree that God had given them certain instructions over with. And, and, and right there in the word of God, you see the attack come through these three doors. I'm going to read it to you out of, of Genesis 3, verse 5. For God knows that when you eat from it, speaking the true of life, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Check it out. He said, look, it's good for food. It's good, pleasing to the eye. It was her appetite. He was appealing to that lust of the eyes. There was something there. What's wrong with this fruit? Why would God not want me to have this fruit? There's fruit all over the place. I mean, why would God not want me to be happy? So I must be able to partake whatever I want to. Comes that lust of the eyes. Then then it was possession. God said I can't have it because I will die. She lied right there. He never said that. But again, why would he keep this from us? Why why would he he hold something good for my life? And then it came down to the third temptation. That was position. It was that, that if you eat of this fruit, you'll be like God. You'll be wise. You'll be just like him. Right there, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. New Testament, Jesus comes on the scene. He is baptized by John. The Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove. He is, he is affirmed by the Father. And the Bible says he's led by the Spirit out into the wilderness to be tested. And there in the wilderness, we, we see these three things again and again. Here's Satan tempting Jesus. And he says, hey, if you're the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. What is he appealing to? The passions. The hunger. Don't you know Jesus, God, just wants to be happy? He do not want you to be hungry. He wants you to be happy. So just turn these, these stones into bread. Go ahead and enjoy. Second, he took him up to a high place. He said, look, just throw yourself down. He says, you know that God is going to catch you. You know that angels are going to come and rescue you. Just throw yourself down because after all, you are the son of God, right? What was he appealing to? The pride of life, that position. And then finally he takes him up and shows him the world all around him. He said, listen, if you will just bow and worship me, you can have everything. It will all be yours. Everything you see, you will have dominion over that. What was he doing? He was appealing to that lust of the eye, the possessions. Again and again, from Genesis all the way through the Bible, you see the same three doors. Here's one that if you're a if you're one that have studied much about the children of Israel uh, in, the, in the Old Testament, they had a wandering problem. Does anyone have a wandering problem? Don't raise your hand. We have the wandering problem still today. But they would wander from God to God to God it seemed like. And I never had come across this, Paul. Too. I was studying for this message. I'd never seen this. But in those gods, little g gods that they wandered to in the Old Testament, you see the same three doors. There were times that they worshipped the god of Asherah or the god of Asherah, how you might would say that. And what that god represented was the god of fertility and the god of lust. It was, it was about passions. They, they, they were involved in worship. that involved temple prostitutes. It was all about gratifying the flesh. It was the lust of the flesh. There were times they worshiped the God of mammon. The God of mammon was a God about possessions. It was about about the money. It was about what you wanted to have. And there were other times they worshiped the God of Baal. And and the God of Baal was the God of power and the God of human attainment. It was all about position. It was all about pride. What do you see? The same three doors again, again, and again. So how do we close them? How, How do we close them? That's what I want to focus on as we wrap this tonight. I want to, how do you close these doors? If Satan is not creative, as all he's able to do is come in the same three ways, then why don't we learn to shut down those entry points so that no longer he has rule over places of our lives and we walk out the freedom the witness God has for us. So how do we do it? I want you to jot this down if you're taking notes tonight. If you're not taking notes, I still want you to jot this down. Get this into you. If we're going to close the door, it starts with this. It starts with, having a life and a heart with integrity, of having a life and a heart of integrity. And what that means is that we're not going to live two lives. We're not going to put on masks when we're around other people. We're not going to act like we're something that we're not. We're not going to hide ourselves from others who God has put into our lives. We're not going to be a Sunday believer that I pray as a pastor, I don't see you in Walmart in the parking lot because I'm going to be ashamed of how you act. We used to joke that we don't give out bumper stickers in Charlotte for churches. Because you never know who might be driving that car that's gonna salute somebody in the wrong way when they cut them off. And it's not a witness whatsoever. But you're not gonna live two lives. You're not gonna be, you're not gonna be a worshiper only if the music really fits your groove. Oh, I can worship for that song, but oh, they had a terrible lineup today. What were they thinking? That that guitar player, I mean, come on. Well, who were they? And we become connoisseurs of worship instead of participators in worship. We become connoisseurs of preaching. I raised kids that are connoisseurs of preaching. They used to travel with me when I would go and travel around the district when I used to serve in the district office. And we'd go sit and preaching like, Dad, that guy needs help. Dad, what were they thinking? I'm like, oh, guys, just listen to the message, okay? It's not about the communicator. It's about the message. But when we live integrity, we are not going to have these lies with two masks. We're not going to compartmentalize ourselves. We're, We're not perfect, but we're honest. When you're honest, you come alongside someone and say, I need your help because I'm struggling right now. I need community because I know I'm in a battle right now, and I'm not strong enough to stand. Paul talked about friendship. We have been friends for a long time. And among my pastors that are friends of mine, there are very, very real gut-wrenching conversations because we have to take the masks off and say, I can't do this anymore. Would you pray with me? Would you help me? And I believe one of the things that Satan works against the church so hard in is to keep us thinking we've got to be the better one in any relationship. We've got to be the strong one. We've got all the answers, but can I tell you that inside of every one of us, there is someone that is crying out saying, I need somebody to walk with me. I need somebody I can be honest with. I need somebody to help me when I'm low and I'm down. I need somebody to help me when I'm in temptation. And God has given us that gift through the body of Christ, but I tell you, if we are not people of integrity, if we're not people that that take the masks off, then good luck fighting Satan on any one of these three doors because you're not strong enough by yourself. We, we are truly better together. We have to be because God designed it that way. In Proverbs 5, there was, this, there was this practical, incredible teaching that every man should read like every other day. But it, but it affects every other area of our lives because it talks about the seductive nature of our world. And in Proverbs 5, verse 7, here's a father speaking to, to sons. He says, now then my sons, we'll say daughters too tonight, okay? Listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Speaking about the seductive nature of adultery is what it was talking about here. He says, keep a path that is far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. Lest you lose your honor to others and your dignity to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich the house of another. Can I tell you, if you are a man or a woman of integrity, you don't choose to live on the edge of sin. You don't see how close you can get to it to see how strong you are. There is no, there is, that is foolishness. It is not wisdom whatsoever. He says, do not go near the door of her house. But you see, when you're in relationship and community, you have accountability. And you have people that say, hey, hey, brother, I've been missing you from church lately. What's going on? Hey, I see you're down. What's happening? Let's talk. We were with, that, we were with a couple the other night, a new family at Hope, and their <laughs> Hope is kind of ridiculous. Uh, we planted within two miles of five mega churches. Yeah, only Spirit-filled people do that, right? It's like pl- planting a handy hardware next to Lowe's. You know, Lowe's. Okay, that's what we're doing. But we're like, hey, there's no one like us, and so we get a lot of people that are like, wow, we've never had a pastor. I'm like, welcome to our church. And we were talking to them. They said we've never had one ask us about our lives. We just sat and listened. I think something needs to change in that, because God called us to relationship and community, not just spectatorship. Amen. We got to be weary, and we, we got to be wary of that. I, I love Romans. Romans six has always been one of those books. Do y'all have a Bible quiz here? You ever anybody ever do Bible quiz in the old days? Junior Bible quiz. That's how I got to date my wife. So that's a very important thing to me, okay? Because her dad wouldn't let me date her. He was the pastor. I was the deacon's kid. But we could date in Bible quiz. So, man, I memorized scripture like crazy because I like that girl, all right? But Romans was one of the first things we memorized. And Romans 6 was important to me because in in Romans 6 it has that little passage that says, sin shall no longer be your master. For you're not under the law, but you're under grace. That's that's a great passage. But, But I want you to hear this out of the message version again. It says, that means... You must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full-time. Remember, you've been raised from the dead into God's way of doing things. Because sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under that old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. If we're going to be a people that are set free and stay free, we got to learn to say yes to God and no to the devil. We got to rebuke him, and the Bible says he must flee. He has no place in our lives unless we allow him. We have got to learn to shut the door. How's the second way? We shut the door to that to that lust of the of of the flesh, or to, to by, by integrity, we shut the door to the lust of the eyes. I think by generosity. You say, well, that that doesn't add up. Yeah, yeah, it really does. Follow, follow me and follow me in this okay you see the lust of the eyes has more to do with your priorities than anything else what's important in life oh but i want that bigger house is that important well i want that better car is that important i i, I want that i want what they have is that important because god looks at our priorities more than our possessions you see we serve a giving god and the world says to us, get all you can. Get, get, get. But God says, I came to give, give, give. And he wants that nature to be in us. And he taught us that it's not so much how much you give away, because that's what we think about generosity. I want, my pla- I want my name on a plaque on the wall somewhere because I'm in the thousand club or whatever. No, he said it's not the matter of the amounts that we give, because guess what? It's assumed that Christians are generous. Who'd have thunk it, right? It's assumed in the word of God. But what he's looking at is where giving is prioritized in your life, giving of your time, giving of your talents, giving of your treasures. That's why in the Bible we read more and we make more about the widow's might than we do about a millionaire writing the big check for the the stone in in the driveway. You see, guys, God revealed early on that it was the priority of your life that he was interested in. One of the oldest stories in the Bible, the first murder, was about what Cain and Abel, right? And, I, and honestly, growing up in church, I never had anyone, I think, rightly explain that to me. I never could figure out why God was ticked off over vegetables versus sheep, okay? And, and I, I struggled with that story so long, and then, and then one day in study, it just finally dawned on me what was happening in this story. So I want you to, to listen to it tonight, and I want you to see the priority of what God is laying out for us in generosity. In chapter 4, Genesis verse 2, it'll be on the screen, says, now Abel kept flocks. He was a farmer. He was he was a herder. He was one out among the sheep and the goats and he he was probably dirty and smelled like them. He was out there with them all the time. And and Cain worked in the soil. So he's out there growing the the what we let's say collards for around here. We have collards and soybeans or whatever else that he grew, okay? And it says Cain brought some of the fruits. Now I'm sorry, back it up. It's so important. I almost missed the best phrase. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, for some of the firstborn of his flock. Now stop right there. Why did God receive one offering and not the other? It's very simply. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits. Cain did it when he felt like it. Well, when I when I have enough, I'll, I'll give. Pastor, I win that lottery, buddy. You know I'm tithing. I'll I'll take a lottery tithe. It's okay. It's not okay to gamble, but it's okay to tithe. Yeah. I might lose my position as overseer tonight. I got a million and six to pay off. People, come on, as we're working on this thing. Uh, <laughs> Abel brought the first fruits. He said, God, before anybody else tastes of this, you taste of it. God, before anybody else feeds off this, you get it, God. It wasn't about what offering was greater. It was the priority of the heart that said, I bring you what is first, not when I feel like it or get around to it. And the Bible says the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face became downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will it not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is what? It is crouching at your door. Shut the door, right? It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. One of the best ways to break the bondage of the, of the lust of the eyes is to be someone who is generous, who holds things loosely in this life. Who wants God to receive the best in every situation? So they're willing to break the bondage and trust God in his plan of generosity. Can I tell you that giving faithfully honors God with the first fruits of your life? And it closes the door on the devil every single time. Paul, is it okay for me to talk about the T-word here? I know. It's it's you know, it's not controversial. It really isn't. It's not a curse word. But you know what? The Bible uses this word. It's not even complicated, but it uses a word called tithe. And we're all like, no, don't talk about the tithe, anything but the tithe. Tithe means what? Ten. That's all it means. Wow, that's really scary. Ten. Run. No. Ten. But you know what the tithe is about and the tithe was about and is still about today because it passed through the cross to us. It didn't die in the Old Testament. What it's about is the tithe was always a test that God had for His people, and throughout the Bible, that ten, that tenth, you'll see again and again and again is God testing the priorities of His people, or God testing their faith to walk after Him. I want to give us a simple quiz tonight, okay? How many feel really smart here tonight? Let me see your hands. Biblically, you're ready. Oh, come on, you have more confidence than that. You can do this thing. I can't see you below the lights. Believe me, I've learned how to do that over the years. All right, real simple. How many plagues did God bring against Egypt? Ten. All right, we're starting off good. How many commandments did God give Moses? How many times did God test Israel in the wilderness? You're not sure of that one. He did. Ten, okay. How many times were Jacob's wages changed? You're catching on, all right? right, Here we go. How many days was Daniel tested? How many virgins were tested in Matthew 25? How many days of testing mentioned in the book of Revelation? How many disciples are there? Ah. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. Back to that Bible quiz thing. We made work on that. <laughs> but do you see the pattern? It's, it's the test. What he's saying is God has given us everything we have. And if he's given us everything we have, why do we lust for more? And if he's given us everything we have and all that we need, he just wants us to honor him with his first priority of saying, God, you will always be first in my life. You will always be first in my life. And whatever area of your life that you've not made God your first priority, you're leaving the door open. You're just like, Pastor, I don't understand. We can't pay our bills, and, and we're falling apart, and this is breaking, and that is breaking. And, and you hate to do it, but you drop the T word. And I'm going to say, well, let me ask you, have you tithed? Well, no. Because then we wouldn't have money for all these bills and stuff. Okay, let's go to logic 101 right now. If God said, You give me the first tenth, see that I not open up the heavens over you and pour out such a blessing, you can't even contain it. Guess what? There's freedom in that, amen? There's freedom in that. It shuts the door. It rebukes the, the devil. Listen, the promise in Malachi was very simple. He said, you bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. There's that test, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, there will not be room enough to restore it. And I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, rebuking the devourer. I like the old version of that. Shut the door. And the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Listen, gang, we don't give to get. We give to honor our God. We're not generous to get our name on a plaque. We are generous to give glory to God. We, we, we recognize this principle. We live by this principle because we do not want Satan to have a foothold in our lives. The day we started Hope, the first check we wrote was a tithe check of what came into the offering, into church planting somewhere else because we were going to honor God with the first fruits of our, of, our, of our harvest. And we haven't stopped doing that. You do it here. I know you do. You don't even stop at 10%. You go beyond it. We, we've been a little crazy this year. We're about 13%. Whatever comes in, it's going out. And here we are, we are in the middle of raising money for a building. I've had people say, Mike, that's just stupid. You're asking for money on one hand and you're giving it away on the other hand. What's wrong with you? I wish I didn't have a handheld at this moment. I'll do it this way. Because I've learned something over the years. When you have a hand outstretched to God, he said, I will fill that hand with good things. As long as your other hand is stretched out to release it in the areas that he wants it released to. But the moment you close this hand, guess what happens? This hand dries up. And even the little bit that you were holding in this hand, the Bible says that even gets taken away at the same time. Now, I, I'm, I'm kind of a logical person. I mean, if I weren't even spiritual, I'm like, okay, that makes sense. If I want more flowing through me, then I must be willing to have more flow out of me. But if I want to clutch it and hold it myself, I cut myself off from the very source of what God is doing. You following? You see, the lust of the flesh, that's what we think, oh, that's the bad, that's the hard one. No, integrity. The lust of the eyes, that's the harder one because it gets down to things that we want to hold on to. And we got to look at it and say, come on, what God has blessed me with, I'm going to release to others. I'm a good God, everything first. So we, we must shut the door. Finally tonight. That lasting pride of life. This is this is my battle. Th- this, this is my battle. When you're you're a five foot eight guy that grows up in Texas and you feel like you got thrown out because you were too small, you have a little pride. You're like, I can do anything. I'll prove it wrong. I'll prove you wrong. We were the oldest church planters ever approved by the ark to, to go out and, and plant a church. And we wore that like a badge of honor. Like, Yoo-hoo! old people can do stuff for Jesus. Amen. Come on. When we got up, and we were standing with all these young guys. We were standing on the stage. I felt so stupid because they were all there with, like, their cool jeans, their skinny jeans, and you never want to see me in skinny jeans. And, and they were standing there, and, and they were going down the line. Like, well, what's your church going to be? And they're like, oh, it's the river. Everybody goes, oh, that's awesome. That's great. Then they're like, what's your church? What's your oh, it's going to be the flow. Oh, that sounds so spiritual. Awesome. What are you going to be? We're going to be the branch. Oh, that's so cool. I'm thinking, what the heck is the branch? I used to pastor in Waco, Texas. That was a bunch of cult people where I was, you know. But they could be the branch, all right. And they get to me, like, what you going to call your church? Hope. And literally the head of the art goes, well, that's not going to be the sexiest church plant in the world. And I'm like, well, I'm not looking for sexy. I'm looking for Jesus, all right? You know, forgive me for not being creative. Paul has all of that. I just take little stuff, right? But, you know, it's just simple of saying we are pride and we say we want position and we want to be more than we actually are. And the things that we struggle with sometimes is saying, well, we're not satisfied is what we're saying is, God, I'm not content where I am right now. I'm only going to be content when I get there. And I I just battle that. I battle that, Paul. We, we face this in Charlotte. You and I talk about this. Oh, just go to Charlotte. Everybody plants a church in Charlotte. They're going to be like 10,000 people overnight. Charlotte is like the burial ground of church plants. In the three-mile radius around us in nine years, I've seen 14 church plants come and die. 100,000 in the pocket, charisma out the wazoo, and they can't draw 10 people. But yet something inside of us goes, we should be bigger. We should be better. We should be different. There's nothing wrong with striving for good things. But can I tell you, there are seasons God has all of us in that we need to be humble and to say, God, where you have us, we are going to be fruitful. We're going to be faithful, God. We're going to stay the course of what you're doing. And we're going to believe, God, that that what you want to do in us, God, you're going to do. Because after all, you're the sovereign God. We're not. I don't know who wrote this. I won't take credit for it, but I've just lived tried to live by it. And I, I want you to hear it. It says, a man on his face will never fall from that position. A man on his face will never fall from that position. You've got to remind yourself, I'm not all that. It's kind of that beginning of the prayer. God, I'm not all that. I'm not all that I believe I am. But I am yours, God, and that makes me enough, and that makes me more than enough, God. Because you're the one that matters, God, not me. You see, humility, we always mess up humility. We think humility is like talking bad about ourselves. I'm a, you know, it's the old, old hymns, you know, the, the worm-like I, you know, or, the, or the, just the, oh, that poor begging sinner that God just makes us crawl up to his throne. That's not humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less often. That's humility. Your first not thought is not how is this going to affect me. Your first thought is how is this going to reflect on me. No, your first thought should be how is this going to bring glory and honor to God. Now, how do we do this? And the band's going to come up and help me here. How do we? How do we walk this out? Let's get let's get practical. I, I think God's given it clearly in His Word to us. One of the most humbling things we can do is pray and fast. See, I struggle with prayer. I've always struggled with prayer. It's one of the curses of being a CPA because it was drummed into my head that time is money. I used to bill people by the minutes, not by the hour. And I was expensive. And I get down to pray and I hear a clock ticking. (laughs) It's like you should be doing something, you know. And I, I just struggle with it. But then when you break it down and you humble yourself and say, God, I don't even know what to say. If you don't know what most pastors pray, it's like, God, I have no clue what to do with your people. And that's why we pray in tongues, because we don't know what to pray. It's true, right? Because where do you begin? Do you pray for your need or your need or your need or your need or your kids' need or your dog that's sick or your job that's ending? Where does it stop? But the most humbling thing is to sum down and say, God, I don't know why you chose me to lead these people, but God, you did, so fill me with your Holy Spirit. God, I'm going to stay in this place until I know you've touched me. Because God, if you don't, I have nothing to give. I have nothing. Worship breaks down pride. I don't sense that's a big problem with most of you here. In Charlotte, it's a problem. My church, if they did the... uh, Average SAT score in that place or average IQ, it'd be scary. I got so many PhDs running around, they frighten me. And the biggest thing we fight there is like, come on, lift up your hands in the sanctuary. And they're like, Don't you see it? it? It's lifted, it's it's above my belt. And I'm like, come on! How about a little bit more? Like I caught a fish, you know, raise it that far. In a minute, it'll be touchdown, but you got to learn something. You know, that God wants to break your pride to the point that you give him more than you give your football team on Saturday. You get more excited about Jesus than you do about your GPA, in our case. And we talk about these things because I understand that it's only when we're passionate. That we come before God to break through our flesh to say, God, this worship is not about a feeling for me, God. It is about an honor to you, God, that says your child is so proud to be your child. And I want you to know how much I love you. And anything you bring to me, God, is just a bonus because you've already done enough when your son died for me. And so I don't approach worship as I've got to get in the groove and i got to find the right song and i got to have the right feeling and the right temperature and the right lighting. I come and say, God, you deserve so much more than I can bring. If I can at least live something that honors you today, God, I am blessed, God I want to honor you. That's worship. It's getting the hands out of the pockets, it's getting the voice opened up and it's saying God to you is all honor and glory and power. You see guys, you want God in your door business. You want God working in your door. You want him working in your life. We we need to be the people that can come and and pray the prayer of John the Baptist. Say, God, you need to increase and I need to decrease, God. Because when you're in charge, guess what? Life happens. When I'm in charge, I just make a mess. One of the first verses that I was ever taught to memorize is the last one we're going to read tonight. Because when we come to God to humble ourselves, we're simply saying to him this, Matthew six thirty three. God, we're going to seek first your kingdom, your righteousness. And then Mike's interpretation, then God, whatever you want to put in my life, you'll put in my life. God, if my priority is you first above all else. You see, gang, God wants you to be free. He wants you to break out so that others can come in. He wants you to be one that overcomes through the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony, those wrong patterns of thought that that you maybe picked up from with your upbringing and then the words that were spoken over to you by sometimes parents that just know any better. He, He wants you to Learn to walk in the healing of the, of the wound that, that, is, that is festered into this bitterness and unforgiveness. And if I even tried to challenge you on that, you say, "I, I don't hold unforgiveness. you even get angry about it because it's become your identity. It feels as part of you. God says, "I want to take that out. God wants to set you free of patterns of sin that you just kind of go, "There I go again. When is this going to stop? I remember when I got saved as a teenager, I, I had an encounter with God. I was 16 years old. And I remember thinking, because I grew up in the old holiness days of perfection, that you get saved and you're perfect, right? Everything just boom, done, awesome, we're good. The only problem is I had a mouth that was so mm-hmm. filthy that curse cursed you one side down the other. And I was saved, I was baptized. And I kept cursing. I had to read James, and I'm like, these things should not be. <laughs> it just shouldn't. I'm like, God, what's up with this? And it, it came to this point where God was dealing with so much pride because I was such a battler, fighter. It was my way of just keeping people away from me so, I didn't, so they wouldn't realize I was weak. And finally, I just had to go, God, I am weak, but your word says I'm strong there's no battle I have with anybody. The battle I have has been won through Jesus Christ. And I can't remember the day it just stopped. I'm not gonna say I'm not tempted, but it just stopped. Because guess what, it no longer had a hold over me because I was, I was under God's grace, amen? And those are the things that God wants to do tonight. So here's what I want us to do. Every Sunday, whenever I have taught the word, I ask you two questions. Because you see, I grew up in the days where preachers would preach and we'd have what we'd call an altar call. And we'd sing just as I am until one of you finally relieved our misery and you came so we could go home and say we actually preached and somebody listened. But here's the problem. My Bible says that God's Word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It says the Holy Spirit takes it and He divides our soul and our spirit and He speaks it into us. So whenever we hear the Word of God, it can be from somebody you think that's the most boring preacher in the world, but if they're bringing the Word of God, guess what? You need to respond to it because God's Word is powerful. So I ask everybody the same question I ask at Hope every Sunday. What is God saying to you tonight? Not your neighbor. This was not for them. Oh, I wish she was here. No, you're here tonight. This was for you. Here's the second question. What are you willing to do about it? What are you willing to do about it? I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to enter into a time of prayer and praise. And here, here's, here's as close as an altar call as I get. See, at Hope, we get everybody moving because I think everybody should respond. But here's, here's the response I want you to find tonight. I'm going to step back down next to my lovely wife, and I'm going to worship God and, as we sing. But I know that there are folks here tonight that you're like, I want to be free. I don't want to leave this place the way I've been. I know there's people here tonight, you have wrapped your identity around your hurt so long, you don't even know what it feels like to be you anymore. Can I tell you, do not leave this place tonight until you've humbled yourself enough to say, God, here I am, moving me. I know a while ago the worshipers came and filled this area up. And I believe that every person in a moment that's going to fill this place up is a worshiper of God, but is also a person like me that says, I know when I am bound and I need to be set free and I'm not ashamed to come up and say, hey, I want God to bring freedom that was promised to me. And I am no longer going to let Satan steal from me. So I want you to bow your heads. I'm going to pray over you. Father, tonight, God, you have given us God, your precious promises. And God, all I ask tonight, God, is that, Lord, our faith would somehow be elevated to the place, oh God, that we'd say that is not true for someone else, that is true for me. And God, I come against tonight, Lord, every lie of the enemy that has been spoken over these wonderful people here tonight at the gathering. God, I, I pray against every twist of truth, God. God, I pray of every name that's been associated with somebody's personality. God, I, I, I come against, God, Lord, that thought that we are just going to be wounded till Jesus comes. Lord, you said that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. God, I come against that thought the world says that just says, just live with it. Because, God, unless you've instructed us to live with it, God, we don't need to. So Father, tonight I speak freedom over your people, God. Come on, just lift your hands up right where you are. Just receive that. I speak freedom over your people tonight. God, as we just speak it to you right now, Father, Lord, as you reveal it into our spirit, God, there may be some tonight that, that Lord, you're revealing things in their hearts and minds that the, God, they, they've they've just come so accustomed to it. They didn't even realize it was a point of bondage, God. But, Lord, I pray tonight, O God, that, Lord, where there is pride that has risen up, God, that has kept someone from being what you created them to be, then, God, tonight, put your finger on that. And, God, let us release that to you right now, Father. And, God, humble ourselves before you and find that that grace that just overwhelms us, O God, and reminds us that our value is in you, Father, not in our production, not in what others believe or think about us, God, but in how you see us. Because our righteousness is found in the righteousness of Christ. God, I pray tonight, oh God, over people that, Lord, tonight, God, their eyes just can't stop wanting, Father. God, their eyes just cannot be satisfied, Father. God, they get angry at the economy. They get angry at the government. They get angry at everything around them because there's just this desire for more. And, God, it's just not fair. God, I pray tonight, Lord, they close their eyes to this world's thoughts. And, God, look to you and say, Father, let me receive all that you have for me, God. And let me hold it loosely in my hands, oh God. Let me be generous, God, with what you've given me instead of dreaming of what I don't have, God. And let me learn to walk in your generosity, God. God, that I may be a person, oh God, that now walks in the freedom, God, of not being possessed by my possessions, oh God, or the possessions I desire. But God, I walk in the freedom of your spirits. God, I pray tonight over those that, Father, God, this is the hardest one for us to admit and confess, God. But, Lord, with the lust of the flesh, God, just has gripped us, Father. God, it just, it just, we want our way, Father. We want our way, God, in every relationship. God, we want our way, God, in our community. We want our way in our church, oh, God. And we get angry we don't get our way. God, we're walking around like toddlers in Christ when you want us to be giants, oh, God, of your word, Father. Warriors, Father. Father, I pray tonight that we'd be humble enough, God, just to say, Father, here I am. God, set me free. Set me free. Set me free, God. I believe freedom reigns in this place tonight. Come on, let's lift our voice. Let's begin to thank God for freedom right now. Right where we are, God is transacting work in your spirit right now. Begin to speak forth praise. You may not feel like God has done something, but speak it out by faith now. Lord, we thank you for our freedom, God. God, we thank you that, Lord, you're breaking through bondage, God, tonight. God, we thank you, Lord, that you're setting the captive free, Father. God, we thank you, Lord, you love us enough, oh God, to, to call us to yourself, oh God. Father, we thank you. God, we praise you tonight. We praise you tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, God, you're dealing with us so beautifully, Father, in this place. God, you're speaking to us, Lord, tonight, God, in your spirit. God, you're reminding us, oh, God, that even in places of bondage, your love overwhelms us, God. We are yours, Father. God, you remind us that, God, tonight you're not disappointed. God, if we find ourselves in bondage, God, Lord, you're longing like a father wants a child to to grab hold of his hand and find something they never experienced before. That's the longing you have for us. So, God, let us reach out to you. God, let us take hold tonight of the promises. The God whom the Son sets free is free indeed.